Hey everybody, welcome back to another edition of the Piano Rhapsody podcast, an amateur's guide to classical piano. This is a podcast where you follow an amateur piano player's road to playing Rhapsody in Blue. And on that road, that long, windy road, we discuss all of the pieces that we encounter along the way by putting them into historical and musical context. Hopefully by the end of the day, we learn to appreciate the piece a little more and can use this knowledge to build upon more complex works as we move further down the road. This is episode 5.1, the start of a brand new series. We're about to embark on another trip through the musical eras, but this time around, we're going to spend a little more time in each historical period to get to know some of the most prominent composers for the piano. So, roughly each month, we're going to spotlight a major composer from each era, as we work our way up to modern day. This week, we're leaving behind Bergmuller in Romantic-era France, and swapping it for Baroque-period Germany, in a series devoted to the unquestionable king of the Baroque era, Johann Sebastian Bach. Now, we've encountered Bach one time before during this podcast, in episode 2.1 which featured Prelude in C major from his seminal work, The Well-Tempered Clavier. That prelude happens to be the easiest piece in that collection by a substantial margin, so while the rest of The Well-Tempered Clavier is a bit inaccessible at the moment, instead, we're going to take a look at a collection from Bach that is a little more approachable to intermediate-level players, and a good precursor to playing his more difficult works we're going to look at a collection of Bach's 15 inventions. But before we jump into that, I do want to bring up that if you are a piano player looking to get into Bach, there are works that are even better entry-level welcome mats than this. I highly encourage you to find a copy of Anna Magdalena's notebooks, who was Bach's second wife. These notebooks contain entry-level minuets and dance suites, which will give a great introduction to not only Bach, but Baroque music in general. You could also check out a collection of Bach's Little Preludes, which would be a great precursor to the preludes encountered in the Well-Tempered Clavier. Speaking of the Well-Tempered Clavier, we've mentioned before that it is made up of 24 pairs of preludes and fugues, one for every major and minor key. We've talked plenty about preludes in the past. Check out Series 2 if you want to refresh about those but we haven't talked about the fugue aspect too much. And we're going to continue that and not talk about them much today either. But the basic concept behind a fugue is counterpoint, which means that it is a piece that juggles multiple voices simultaneously, most commonly three or four. But there are also a couple Bach fugues that have five voices, which hurts my brain to even consider. So essentially this means that there are multiple melodic lines happening at once. Like having three singers sing a round of row, row, row your boat. But they don't all have to necessarily sing the same line, or even at the same time. As you might imagine, this can get very confusing, especially when you're juggling up to four or five voices at once. Which is why the well-tempered clavier is not exactly entry-level material you really need to build up to play this. So while the collection of little preludes that I mentioned before is an excellent warm-up to tackling the more difficult preludes in the well-tempered clavier, 
box inventions, which we are going to talk about during this series, are an ideal entry point to learning box fugues. So what are the inventions? I mean, it's kind of a strange name. Bach is definitely no Edison. We're not talking about light bulbs or the cotton gin. But a musical invention is a short work that contains two voices and gives equal weight to the left and right hands. These pieces are useful for building independence of the hands and helping your brain become comfortable with the idea of executing two melodic lines simultaneously. A much easier task than four or five voices at once. Which is why these works make a logical starting point. We don't have an exact date for when Bach wrote his inventions, but they are believed to be written around 1720, because this was the time when his eldest son, Wilhelm Friedman Bach, was beginning his musical education. In 1723, Bach rewrote the inventions into a separate volume, retouching them, and putting them in an order based upon ascending keys. So like the well-tempered clavier, the first invention starts in C major, and it goes up from there. But since there are only 15 inventions, instead of the 24 prelude and fugue pairs, every key is not represented within the collection of inventions. Bach submitted these inventions with an application for the position of Cantor at St. Thomas's in Leipzig, Germany. The position included leading and composing the music used in the church services, and also had an educational element of teaching singing and instrumental music. Bach actually wasn't trained at a university, but he was nonetheless encouraged to apply. Bach submitted these inventions along with the first book of the well-tempered clavier, to show that he was capable and qualified to teach, even without a formal education. And it paid off. He got the job. Bach addresses these inventions for two groups of people. Those desirous of learning, that is, instrumental students, and the second group is, and I quote, mere amateurs. Thanks, Bach. And this leads us to my personal challenge for the week. Try to incorporate the word mere into a sentence and not sound like a condescending, pompous windbag. Good luck. The goal of these pieces was twofold. As I mentioned before, the first is to acquire equal technique in both the left and right hands. And the second is an introduction to musical composition. I can't remember who said it, and I can't exactly find the quote, so I hope I don't butcher this. But somebody once compared playing the inventions solely as technical exercises is like using a Ferrari to transport hay. So while the inventions are functional as technical exercises, to truly appreciate them, you need to realize what you have here and dissect the compositional work of a master's hand. So that's what we're going to try to do in this series. For the next five episodes, we're going to tackle two inventions per episode. And while we won't make it through all 15, I think 10's a healthy majority. And I'll be posting my recordings of the other five on my SoundCloud page as we move along. Is there a better place to start than number one? I don't think so. 
So let's start at the beginning with Bach's invention number one in C major. This is also arguably the most well-known invention and one of Bach's most recognized works. Because they include two voices, inventions are often described as conversations between the left and right hands. So considering that, I think the first step in analyzing these inventions is to identify the subject of what the hands are talking about. Luckily for us, the first invention opens with the right hand playing the subject. And that subject of 12 notes can be further simplified down to three four-note motifs. Think of the motifs like three Tetris pieces. You can flip them upside down, stack them against each other, invert them, anything you want to fit them together to create a nice, clean line. That's exactly how Bach built these inventions. They're kind of like compositional puzzles. And this particular puzzle has three differently shaped pieces to work with, which make up the subject. So let's hear that subject one more time. And now let's briefly isolate the three motifs. We have motif A, which is an ascending scale of four notes. Motif B, which includes some jumping. And motif C, an alternating sway. These are the essentials on which the entire piece is built. So obviously they didn't have printing presses or copy machines back in the 1700s. So copies of Bach's inventions varied slightly from student to student as they were copied by hand. The core of these inventions remained the same, but keep in mind that this is the Baroque period. So all of these pieces were written for harpsichord. And because the harpsichord wasn't able to provide color with varying its volume, performers often used embellishments called ornaments. These ornaments varied from edition to edition, and from student to student. But the versions of inventions that I personally have are copies of the ones that Bach autographed and submitted along with his job application to become Cantor at St. Thomas's. This copy throws in an ornament within the subject in motif C. So here is the actual subject you will hear in my recording, with that ornament. It's difficult to keep track, even with the music in front of you, but there are over 30 iterations of this subject in some form or another, within this piece that is less than 2 minutes long. So let's try to isolate a few interesting ways that Bach manipulates this subject and uses both hands to simulate a conversation of the two voices. In the very first measure of the piece, we open up with the right hand playing the complete subject. But just as the right hand reaches motif C, the left hand butts in with a shortened version of the same exact subject, only dropping the final motif. This direct copying of the left hand is called an imitation of the subject and is a technique that Bach utilizes throughout his inventions. 
In the second measure, Bach already spices things up and starts his subject on a different key. This invention is written in C major and begins on C. But during the second iteration of the subject, the right hand jumps up to the dominant note, which is another name for the fifth note. So if we're in C major, the dominant would be C, D, E, F, G. So the second iteration is the same exact subject, only it begins on G instead of C. And just like before, the left hand butts in with an imitation of the shortened subject, this time also starting on G. Another technique that Bach employs is inversion. This is to literally take the sheet music of the subject and turn it upside down. So instead of motif A starting the subject as ascending, the subject starts as a descending line now. Bach utilizes this inverted subject within the right hand in something called a sequence, where the subject is played back to back to back with a minor change. In this sequence, he lowers it one note each time. So let's listen to the sequence isolating the right hand, which executes four consecutive inverted subjects. And there's one more passage I want to highlight in this first invention, because it's the shining example of why inventions are sometimes referred to as conversations between the hands. This is a sequence of back and forth between the right and left hands. The right hand begins with an inverted subject. And the left hand answers with an echoed imitation. Then the sequence returns to the right hand, where the subject is flipped back to its normal side. And the left hand follows suit. So let's listen to this entire conversational sequence. And that was only a surface scratching of this invention. You can find analyses that go into detail on every single harmony and modulation but that's a serious academic pursuit that I'm really not interested in pursuing for the sake of this audio podcast. I hope this gives you an idea of how carefully placed every single note in this piece is and how every idea is built upon the three motifs found in the 12-note subject. So let's listen to the entire work. Here is Bach's invention number one in C major, BWV, 772.
there's a lot going on there. It's one of those pieces where you can find something new on every listen. These inventions are all dense in music theory. And while they come off sounding kind of simplistic, they're actually quite difficult to learn. But let's move along to the second piece of the day. Invention number three, in D major. So as I mentioned previously, Bach ordered all of these inventions by ascending keys. Number one was in C major, and number two, which we skipped, is in C minor. And now we're at number three, in D major. So just like we did for number one, let's start out with identifying the subject. And similar to the first invention, the third invention opens with the right hand playing the subject. And this time around, the left hand is a little more polite and waits for the right hand to finish before butting in with the note-for-note -note imitation. Then, Bach has a new trick up his sleeve, with an episode in the right hand. He employs a sequence of five partial subjects in a row, alternating between two variations, and then, all of a sudden, he modulates to the dominant key of A major. So let's listen to this right hand sequence, and I'll narrate along. Variation one, two, one, two, and boom, A major. Bach also utilizes this type of alternating sequence in the left hand later on in the invention. It starts out with the full subject and then tacks on four partial iterations. Full sequence. One, two, three, and four. This invention also has that classic back and forth trading of subject material between the left and right hands. So let's listen to this series of imitations. So if the first invention is supposed to be a conversation, I would classify number three as a dance. You may notice that I played this invention a little faster than the first one, and to be honest, it's all a personal choice. Bach, along with most of his Baroque composer peers, don't tend to offer any type of tempo suggestions, so this decision can vary depending on the performer. The subject here is a flowing stream of sixteenth notes, which rarely lets up during the entire invention. It's also heavy with complex turn ornamentation. When the left hand carries the subject material, the right hand is typically found turning and trilling, reminiscent of a dance. This kind of vibe makes me think that the piece is just asking to be played at a quicker tempo. But it's up for debate. That's just my two cents. Let's see what you think. Is it another conversation? A dance? An argument? You decide. Have a listen to Bach's third invention in D major, BWV 774.
So after talking about these two inventions, I'm sure you can already get a feel for how controlled and carefully calculated every single note is. Bach's construction is ironclad. And that might also explain why I feel a little distanced from these pieces. I respect them as compositions and technical exercises and can appreciate their value, which is exactly how Bach intended them. But compared to the works that come later in history, especially during the Romantic period and onwards, I find it difficult to emotionally connect to these Baroque works. But perhaps you don't agree. Actually, I hope you don't agree. Because that's what music is all about. If we all listen to the same exact thing, that would be a boring world. You can find the standalone recordings of the two inventions we talked about during this episode in the podcast feed. We skipped invention number two, but I'll be posting that to the Piano Rhapsody SoundCloud page if you want to check it out. If you'd like to reach out to me, find me on Twitter at Piano Rhapsody or by email at pianorhapsodypodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for joining me on this trip back to the Baroque period. We will make this our home for the next four episodes. And I think that's it. I'll talk to you all in merely a week's time. How about that, huh? Does that count? Probably not. <laughs>